0: May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines but it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law, and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Young Conservative Network, a show where we go behind the scenes with some of the guests on the front lines of the culture wars, particularly in the education system and universities. And take a look at some of the issues challenging young conservatives in modern society. Today's guest is Turning Point USA contributor and author of Frontlines: Finding My Voice on an American College Campus, Isabel Brown. So, Isabel, thank you for coming on to the show. Um, I'm really pleased to have you on as the first guest.
1: I'm uh, so excited. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So,
0: um, so I wanted to get you on first because. You, I read in your book that you um you started a show when, uh, Prager you when you were working with them called um, on the front lines, where you um interviewed a lot of um young conservatives who were fighting the good fight on um university campuses, uh, college campuses and um and I'm trying to do something similar to that in a sense, um trying to get some young conservatives on, get their views, um, see how they're going in the in the world of being a young conservative. Um, so for those who don't know who you are, like those in our Australian audience, maybe who don't know who you are, do you want to give just a brief rundown of the Isabel Brown story?
1: Sure thing. Well, as you mentioned, my name is Isabel Brown and I wear many hats in the conservative movement, but my main position for my day job is actually working for an organization called Turning Point USA. If you're not familiar with the company, we are a national nonprofit in the United States with a presence on over 2,000 high school and college campuses with chapters, which essentially is a fancy word for clubs, energizing the next generation of Americans with the ideas of freedom, liberty, free markets, individual responsibility, and overall small government. That is the message that we're sharing on college campuses. That has dramatically grown in the last several years, and I was first involved with Turning Point USA in 2017 as a student and started a chapter on my college campus at Colorado State University and evolved over the years into many different positions at Turning Point before becoming a spokesperson for the national organization. But today we are reaching and impacting American culture and culture around the world in ways that we never imagined or dreamed would be possible. I currently work for our productions department, which is responsible for putting out several social media-based shows of many different kinds. You may have seen politics hosted by my friend Alex Clark, which covers pop culture without the propaganda, every day on Instagram TV. I host a daily series called Freedom Seeds, which aims to give a fact every day uh, to people around the world that otherwise isn't being shared in education or traditional media. And I'm actually getting ready to launch two more shows with Turning Point USA Productions. We have a whole host of new opportunities coming about for talent and shows in that regard in the next few weeks, but I'm redoing on the front lines, so to speak. So we are resurrecting that. And I'll be interviewing college students from across America about their experiences being targeted as conservatives in their university community. So I'm very excited for that to be launched uh, the week of September 13th. Lots of other fun surprises to come. Uh, But I really got involved in this movement on accident. Truthfully, I never intended to be working in politics or communication or through public speaking. I was a biomedical sciences student that dreamed of being a doctor. And my experience when it came to indoctrination and the backlash against not just conservative ideas but objective truth, on my college campus totally opened my eyes to a completely different reality in which if nobody is willing to stand up and fight not just for what you believe in, but as I mentioned, objective truth, we are going to lose the United States of America and the Western free world as we know it. So my life took a pretty dramatic turn. I talk all about it in my book, Frontlines, which came out in February, but I'm so grateful to be where I am today and to have had the opportunities that I've had in the last few years
0: incredible um and as you can see guys there's the book there uh, anyway um, uh so um speaking of which of the book um how did you know you wanted to uh, what inspired you to write the book and um how did you want to know you how did you know you wanted to be a writer um for, for that? i
1: have always loved reading and writing you will always find my nose in a book regardless of where i am uh it's so? been that way since i was a young child but when it came to actually writing a book of my own As I mentioned, I was in the hard sciences. So I was taking classes like organic chemistry and physics and anatomy and physiology. And when you think about those subject matters, you don't typically think about a political agenda being pushed in the classroom from college professors in particular. You typically would associate that with classes in political science or ethnic studies or gender studies, at least here in the United States. But I was completely shocked and blown away that even in my classes where we were supposed to be walking toward the pursuit of objective truth, finding out what was fact versus fiction, what we could prove versus what we knew was wrong. I was being told the political opinions of my professors as fact and as objective truth in those classes like chemistry and physics and anatomy. So I knew right away something was off about my college experience that way. Uh, But once I decided to start becoming a lot more vocal about the things I believed in politically and start a Turning Point USA chapter, I gained quite the reputation on my large public school campus as that conservative girl and was often the target of many death threats, doxing of my address, which means posting that without my consent online, people coming after me and threatening me with violence or even rape. Uh, And it was so eye-opening to see the experience of what these conservative college students are going through, not just in the United States, but around the world on a day-to-day basis. But no one in the media is covering it. You never hear those stories about just how crazy education has become. So I wanted to share my story in the effort that I could inspire other people to continue speaking up and know that they're not alone in that process.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I know that you were, you speak about it in the book, but you were a, um, you were part of the student government on your um, on your campus, um, and served some time as the speaker of your student government. Um, so I know you went through a fair bit, you know, with um, with threats and doxing and all that, um, and it must have been quite scary at times. Um, how did you get? Were there any times that you uh, felt like um, it was all too much, or um, or that it was becoming a bit too? scary or anything? And um, if so, what got you through those times?
1: Absolutely. And I think everyone who works in the movement alongside me every day experiences that at some point or another. There's a very humbling moment when you realize that this isn't necessarily just a statement somebody's putting out there on the internet or telling you to your face. Maybe your personal safety could be jeopardized simply because somebody disagrees with your political perspective and your worldview of what you believe the structure of government should look like. Sadly, that's the reality that we live in in 2021. And that can be really overwhelming for people. And honestly, it's enough to get most people to back down and stop speaking Mm. up and stop fighting because they don't want to put their personal reputation, their friendships, their relationships with others or their safety on the line. Uh, But when you are able to push through that and you understand that these baseless accusations people are throwing at you, calling you a racist or a white supremacist or a Nazi, I get called Nazi and white power Barbie all the time, when you realize that those people don't actually know who you are and what your character is and what your personality looks like, that you're a conservative because you're compassionate, because you want to lift people out of poverty, you want to improve the human experience and help as many people as possible, you can realize that they know nothing about who you are and what you stand for. That is the laziest argument whatsoever when somebody comes after you with a baseless accusation, with a threat, with posting your address online, and they do it in a very intentional effort to scare you out of continuing to speak up. They do it because it's successful. And so when we Mm -hmm. choose voluntarily to continue pushing through that, to continue speaking up, that makes all the difference in the world. But of course, I experienced several times throughout my college experience and afterwards where I wondered, you know, is this all worth it? Is this really what I want to be doing with my life, particularly when my address was posted online to an apartment that I lived at by myself off campus? I often would walk back from the library very, very late at night. Uh, after studying for several hours on end for all those difficult science exams. uh, But I realized very early on that I was willing to put myself on the front lines fighting for the culture of the United States of America and the Western world moving forward, if it meant it could inspire other people to do the same thing.
0: Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you kept going. Um, So um, now I remember, um, if we just talk about indoctrination for a 2nd I remember my first sort of experience with indoctrination in the school system was in high school in Year 8 when we were shown um, Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth in uh, Year 8 English. And um, at the time I was, you know, I hadn't really been into politics, so I sort of, uh, I will admit that I kind of fell for the the whole climate change propaganda and everything at the time. Um, so I just wanted to ask you when your sort of first experience with indoctrination in that sense was in the education system.
1: I was very lucky that it didn't happen until college. These days, American students are being pushed a political agenda as young as kindergarten and even preschool. It has become out of control and truthfully, maybe too far gone in many instances in some of these public school districts. But luckily for me, I hit the timing right that it didn't happen until college, thank goodness. And it was actually the day after the 2016 presidential election. Every college campus in America was a political hotbed of very, very upset individuals because Donald Trump had won the presidency of the United States and would be inaugurated in a few months. I was feeling great. The guy I had voted for had won. I was so excited, but at the end of the day, you know, it was a political race, it didn't determine my existence on campus, it didn't determine my future as an American, and it certainly shouldn't have impacted my classes the next day, but I showed up the next morning, a Wednesday morning in November of 2016, to my Spanish medical terminology language course, which should have nothing to do with political ideology whatsoever. And I'm waiting and waiting, and my professor is five, then 10, then 15 minutes late to our hour long class, And she burst in the door wearing head to toe, all black and a black lace veil draped over her face. And she was sobbing her eyes out uncontrollably crying. She kept apologizing over and over saying it was my generation that did this to you. There are white supremacist people on this campus and around our country that have decided that minority students should not be able to live, your safety is in jeopardy, there's free counseling resources available to everyone, and we will be canceling our curriculum for the rest of the semester. If you don't want to take the final exam, you don't have to, I'll give you an exemption and we'll make sure that you're feeling emotionally okay about the results of this election instead of focusing on your academics. And then that happened over and over and over again, the entire day for all of my classes, my teachers all wore the same outfits, everyone was crying, And it dawned on me that it was literally impossible for my professors to believe that anyone my age at the time I was 19 years old could have possibly been a conservative and voted for the person who won the presidency of the United States, let alone support free speech or a strong Southern border policy uh, and wanting to preserve individual liberty and limit the government as much as possible at that time. That day forward, politics drove every aspect of almost every class that I took, even in the hard sciences. And Spanish language, uh, and truthfully, indoctrination ruled my college experience much more than education.
0: It's a sh- it's a shame when that happens because I mean, you you go there, you pay for an education, you you know, you're paying a fairly decent student fees and everything, and you want to get the best out of it. So, um, it's a shame when you know professors and all that end up becoming um, more. Um, they want to you know engage in indoctrination rather than education. Um, so. In the book, um, you discuss how universities and college campuses are the uh, front lines of the culture wars. Um, Do you think there's a chance that we can fully restore diversity of opinion in, um, in universities, both in the US and Australia and I suppose around the world?
1: Truthfully, I go back and forth. I am an eternal optimist and I love what I get to do for a living. So the short answer is yes, but I have to wonder at this point in time if our education system, at least in the United States, is so far beyond what it used to be that it has to fall apart to make way for something better. And that's especially becoming apparent to me as this indoctrination becomes the hallmark trait, not just of the college experience, but high school and middle school and elementary mm. school and even kindergarten in the United States. Just a couple weeks ago, for example, the Chicago Public School District announced it would be mandating every teacher in a public school in the district of Chicago, Illinois, to provide free condoms to students aged 10 and up, in fifth grade and up. So at this point, 10-year-olds are not Mm -hmm. only being Mm -hmm. taught about sexual activity, but they're being provided free contraceptives without their parents' permission, probably without their knowledge as well in the classroom. Almost every major school district in a big city has adopted critical race theory and is teaching students that your entire future is based on the color of your skin, not how hard you're willing to work or what it means to work together and come together as a United States of America. Because of all of this, education is fundamentally changing, though. There are more people choosing not to go to a traditional college and instead opt for a trade school route or maybe start a business and go after their American dream that way. And more parents than ever in American history are choosing to homeschool their children. And when you look at this by the numbers, it's very impressive. Historically in the U.S., there's been about 3% of families that have chosen to homeschool their children throughout my entire childhood. And in 2020, as lockdowns started to surge, that number went up to about 5.5%. Uh, with parents wanting their kids to have as normal of a school experience as possible with COVID-19. Today, as of a few months ago, that number is 11% of U.S. families choosing to homeschool their children because they see the effects of this indoctrination. And frankly, if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to say enough, I have to wonder if education is too far gone in its current state. So I think things may have to fall apart a bit to make way for what's next.
0: Of course. Yeah. So do you think that homeschooling rate will increase further as the years go on?
1: I, I really do. And I think a lot of that will have to do with ongoing COVID-19 restrictions, depending on where you live. In many conservative areas in the United States, things are very normal now. Kids are going back to school. Yeah. They don't have to wear masks. Uh, they can you know, sit close together and not have to social distance. But you see some of these states controlled by Democrats and cities controlled by Democrats in particular that are still requiring masks. They're not letting students sit next to each other or play together on the playground. I mean, these are children we're talking about and the psychological effects of that have yet to even be studied, let alone understood what this means long term. So I think parents, regardless of political background, have had enough and good for them for choosing a better option for their kids.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's good to see. Um, so in Australia, um, our uh, federal education minister, I think it was last year, um, or even earlier this year, actually, sorry, uh, described uh, freedom of speech as an essential value, which underpins the very essence of a university. Um, however, there are still a number of universities in Australia where free speech isn't necessarily protected as such. Um, he's floated the idea of using legislation as a means to ensure it's protected. Uh, and I know um, President Trump, when he was in the presidency, um, was very big on um, ensuring free speech on campus and signed some exec- an executive order on the matter. Um, Do you think government intervention is a good way of ensuring uh, universities safeguard free speech on campus? Or might there be another more effective way of doing that? From
1: a conservative perspective, I'm always hesitant to jump into government intervention. But the truth is, the government isn't really intervening when it comes to protecting free speech. At least in the United States, based on our constitutional framework, our constitution was written to ensure that your rights as given to you by God are protected from government. They're not given to you from government uh, and messed with on any given whim, depending on who is in political power. So unfortunately, we have come to the time in American history where additional safeguards are necessary in order to revert back to that original document outlining what it means to have rights as an American citizen. I know that's very similar to what you all have in Australia. You have a codified right to free speech, and that's so important. But unfortunately, so many people have now taken it upon themselves to violate that right and decide to create additional safeguards and protections and safe spaces to make sure that you're never exposed to true freedom of speech and diversity of opinion. So when it comes to using legislation as a means to bring you back to the foundation of what it means to protect your rights as an individual person, absolutely, that is the right way to go.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, we really need to get onto that and um, protect free speech in university because diversity of thought is so much more is so important. I mean, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the left like to talk about diversity in terms of identity politics and all that. And um, and they never want to discuss diversity of opinion and intellectual diversity. So I think we really need to get back onto that. Um, So um, obviously, in your book, you talk about how the front lines are the universities and college campuses. Um, Do you think that now sort of extends to high schools and even earlier education, given that the left is trying to indoctrinate children from a younger age now?
1: Younger and younger, it seems. And it's so overwhelming to me that we are now reading babies, books like Anti-Racist Baby, which, if you haven't read yet, is very eye opening and very important to what the left believes should be the future of not just the United States, but every culture around the world. I read a book the other day called The Gay BCs and we're uh, mandating drag queen story hour in places like New York City. So this is becoming a much bigger conversation than just higher education on college campuses. But education absolutely is the front lines of what it means to fight the culture war, uh, not just here at home, but around the world as well. When we fail to expose people to a diversity of thought, whatever that looks like, political or otherwise, we fail to teach critical thinking skills. And truthfully, that is the most fundamental aspect of what it means to perpetrate a free society into the next generation. To have an individual's ability to say, hang on a second, to ask all the right questions, to think for one's self, is what it means to be a citizen living in a free society. Uh, I'm getting ready to launch On the Frontlines again with TPUSA the second week of August. In my first episode, I interviewed Yeonmi Park, which if you're at all familiar with her story, she is a defector Mm -hmm. from North Korea who just graduated from Columbia University. And we talked so much about what it meant to be an individual, to have an individual identity, and most importantly, to critically think for oneself. They don't even have a word For self in North Korea. So when you think about the most extreme part of this conversation, where the the farthest extreme could go when it comes to the left taking over society, it goes back to that collective idea, groupthink, always associating with your identity and your group rather than as an individual and embracing what makes you special and you unique and you different from the rest of society. That is the fundamental aspect of what we're talking about here when it comes to education. And it seems to me that the political left has gone after creating this group identity and stripping away critical thinking rights to encourage groupthink, younger and younger and younger as the years go on.
0: Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's like, you know, in um, in the universities now, they, you know, they talk about um, critical thinking courses and all that, but their idea of critical thinking is so much, is just so tarred um, in terms of it's not as, it's not what it should be. Um, and I know you mentioned that in your book as well. Um, you talk about how, you know, they um, they discuss critical thinking, but Critical thinking to them is only thinking with a leftist view, rather than any other alternative views. Um, now, I've said for many years that um, if we're going to discuss politics and political and societal issues in the uh, in the classroom per se, um, we should be looking at both sides of the argument, and teachers should teach both sides of the um, of the issues rather than just teaching what they're the leftist side of it. Um, do you think um, that? it's a viable option to do that? Or do you think maybe we should leave politics aside until students are older and able to understand it better? Um, What do you think?
1: No, I think it's important to expose kids to the political reality, actually. And I wasn't very exposed to politics in the classroom, per se, at a young age, but both of my parents are attorneys and love politics, so we always talked about it at home. And it helped me at such a young age form a worldview that was based on understanding the entire 360 degrees of an argument and the situation. We were always encouraged to play devil's advocate, to always take the opposing side of what we thought we might believe and research that and dive into that head first. In high school in particular, I participated in competitive speech and debate, very nerdy, I know, but that is one of my favorite things that I ever did. And when you walked into a debate round, you didn't know what side of the argument you were going to argue until you were actually in that room. So you had to be well-versed in every aspect of every argument and every perspective. Uh, which is so eye-opening. That's never encouraged anymore because they don't want you to know both sides. They don't want you to understand that typically one solution is far superior to another solution. Instead, as you mentioned, they would rather have you critically think about how the left is the only way to go. Socialism is the only way of the future. So exposing children to the idea of political thought is a fantastic way to expose their worldview at an early age and have them understand what the difference between conservatism and liberalism is, what it means to be a Marxist versus wanting to conserve the past and preserve individual liberty in that manner. But it has to come from both sides because you can never understand an argument unless you understand where the opposition is coming from and understand their argument inside and out.
0: Definitely. Um, and just on that. um, I know you've talked about how we need to bring uh, politics back to the dinner table. And um, in fact, that was one of the first quotes I saw of yours that sort of um, got me into having a look at some more of your stuff um, and inspired another article that I wrote. Um, Do you think that um, bringing politics back to the dinner table would help young people in particular to be able to form their own informed views on social and political matters?
1: I do. And I think one of the big reasons for that is you're seeing in the United States, 18 year olds move to college, they're an adult for the first time, but they have no way to articulate what they believe in and why they believe it. They might not even know because perhaps they've never been exposed to a political worldview in their life at home with their family, the people that they trust the most and can comfortably talk back and forth about these things. I do believe that is starting to change simply because that indoctrination is becoming younger and younger and people are talking about political issues in high school, middle school, elementary school. Uh, But if these conversations were happening at home and you had the ability to articulate for yourself, this is what I believe and why I believe it, indoctrination wouldn't even stand a chance. You would have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to pick apart your professor or your teacher's argument, uh, understand where the gaps are and where you can fill those things in to prove it wrong.
0: For sure. Um, so, if we're to, if we're to consider the education system in general, when do you think um, kids should be at, should start to learn about social and political um, issues?
1: As early as possible. I mean, that is the game that the left is playing. We are now literally reading picture books to babies about situational and institutional racism. It blows <laughs> my mind. But if we're really <laughs> serious about fighting the culture war, we have to go where culture already is and tell the truth in all of those spaces.
0: Definitely. Now, um, just one more question on the university stuff. Um, There's an issue that's obviously arisen in education, particularly in universities, um, where students are obviously always striving to do their best and get the best marks. um, But sometimes they're concerned, particularly conservative students, become concerned that if they um, express their own views, that it will result in a loss of marks for them um, Mm -hmm. if their professors are very left wing and, you know, that they don't want to hear views other than their own. Um, I know that a few uh, conservative commentators and thought leaders have spoken out about this, particularly um, I saw two sides of the argument on uh, Twitter a few months back. There was Ben Shapiro saying maybe it would be best to, um, to just, you know, uh, wait until you finished your course and get gotten through your um, university course to um, get to the point where then you can start making noise after that. And then there was Jordan Peterson, who was saying, who's a professor himself who's um who was saying that um, students shouldn't compromise their values and beliefs um, mm-hmm. to appease their teachers. Um, so I just wanted as someone who's still relatively fresh out of the system, Isabel, um, what are your thoughts on this issue?
1: It's a very personal decision, and that's the most simple answer that I can provide. I've wrestled with this personally myself at the time when I thought I was going to go to medical school and really needed a great grade point average to get into a great school and become a successful physician moving forward. Uh, But I also hit the point in my own college experience where I said, you know, I think it's a lot more important for me to expose my peers to a different way of thought. They may never learn this otherwise if I don't say something right now. So I myself have failed assignments, done poorly in classes. Simply because I dared to tell the truth in a classroom that said the truth was no longer supposed to be a part of society, was outdated or hateful or racist, you name it whatsoever, uh, the argument the professor wanted to share. So my best advice to students facing this issue is that you have to ask yourself a very simple but profound question, and that is what is your calling in life? What's your goal in life? If it's to become a successful attorney or physician or something that requires an advanced degree beyond college, I would suggest keeping your head down, getting through your courses, getting as great of grades as possible, then becoming successful in that field and using your influence in that field to make a difference from a conservative perspective and to tell the world the truth when it comes to your position as a doctor, as a lawyer, as someone who has an advanced degree. If the college experience is really it, the end of the road for you, absolutely speak the truth because your values are the most important thing that you will hold on to for the rest of your life. Grades come and go. And I know I'm very type A. I was an honor student myself. It seems really overwhelming. When it comes to failing a test or an assignment or a paper Definitely. because you want to tell the truth but that means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of your life experience and inspiring and encouraging others to run after their values with everything they've got and to share them proudly with the world means so much more.
0: I think that's a very well reasoned to answer that one. <laughs> so um, we'll just move back onto the book for a second. Um, did you enjoy the process of writing Frontlines and were there any difficult moments um, in that process for you?
1: I did, I loved writing my book. I'm definitely planning on writing more in the future. So that's something that I see for myself in the next few years. I started writing when I was finishing up my last semester of college in the spring of 2019 because I didn't wanna forget anything about what my personal experience was like on my college campus in Colorado. And that process extended for a while, about a year and a half before I was matched with the right company to help me to publish the book. And I ended up self-publishing as a first-time author, which I totally recommend to anybody getting involved in the literary world for the first time. If you don't have a book agent or you weren't Approached by a large publishing house, it can be very overwhelming to navigate that process. So, just getting something out there is a great first step in order to keep moving forward and then work with those companies moving forward. Um, Of course, there were difficult moments. It's a long, long piece of writing, right? And I think you think when you start writing a book, you want to write in sequential order. You want to start with chapter one and then write chapter two, but it's actually much more different than that. You bounce around quite a bit, you revisit, you reorder things, you scrap ideas, and you come up with new stuff throughout the process. So it's a very dynamic process and you learn a lot about yourself uh, and your own personal critical thinking skills throughout.
0: Oh, definitely. As a, I mean, as a writer myself, I find it hard to sometimes uh, edit and let go of things that I want to keep in there. Yeah. you
1: find that yourself? <laughs> I have never been one who's short on words, which is why it's great <laughs> that I found this position. Uh, but when it comes to writing in particular, you don't want to say too much when you can just you know, say something simply. So the editing process was definitely the most challenging for me.
0: For sure. Um, now, uh, I'd just like to briefly touch on uh, faith. Now, you're a Catholic, is that correct? I am, yes. Yes. So, um, so uh, how did you um, find God in your life in a sense? Were you, you, were you born into that uh, faith and raised in that faith?
1: I was. I was raised in the Catholic yeah. Church and I attended a Catholic high school. But God really became a big part of my life as a teenager uh, when I decided that I wanted that to be the foundation of
0: everything that I did moving forward. In- that's amazing. Um now, uh how much of an impact do you think your faith has had on your life and the direction you've taken and i guess your achievements so far?
1: Everything. I mean, achievement is only so much. It's only so much of a part of life and you can't take it with you. Uh this life is a gift, but it's a temporary gift and it's not something that we can hold on to for the rest of our lives, but when you have a foundation that's bigger than this world, that's bigger than the chaos and the catastrophe and everything happening in government and politics, it's very calming to be able to get up the next day and continue doing it all over again. And I'm often asked how I can do the news every day and constantly be surrounded by all of this negative information And harp on just how terrible the world has become. It's because every day I wake up with the intention of making this world a little bit more like the next world. And I'm not going to be loved because of that. I'm actually guaranteed to be hated because of that. Uh, But I wear it like a badge of honor because this is my true calling at the end of the day. It's not so much to get people to vote for a certain candidate or to change their voter registration to a particular political party. It's just to wake up and tell the truth to the world. And I think if every Christian woke up with the intention of doing that on a day-to-day basis, our world would look so dramatically different.
0: Oh, for sure. Especially in these times when everything is so politicized and polarized. And, um, I think, you know, we really need to keep in mind that this life is only, you know, just a short part of our, um, of our journey in a sense. Um, so, um, now one of the things that you wrote in your book that really struck me and stayed with me was that you, um, when you went to, um, Cuba on your uni trip, um, you were the only one who wanted to go to Catholic mass because you want you like going to Catholic mass in uh, every country you visit, um, and I loved how you know you talked about the um, the Cubans that were at that mass and how they um, they were really telling you about you know the real side of Cuba rather than the the side that's sort of you know presented in the media. Um, so um, how did that process of um, how how did you begin to know that you wanted to go to Catholic Mass in every country you wanted to visit?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know that it was ever <laughs> an intentional effort of mine. My first time ever going abroad was with a trip with my high school, which was a Catholic school um, to Eastern Europe. And we did a Holocaust tour throughout several countries, visiting cool. concentration camps and museums. It was very impactful. And very eye-opening but we attended an Easter vigil mass because we were there over our spring break which happened to fall over Easter in Germany and I thought it was so cool to understand everything that was happening even though it was in a different language and just be part of a huge community of Catholics around the world so ever since no matter where I am I try to go at least once in most of the countries that I visit because it's a very special community.
0: Yeah, It's amazing. It's even, you know, even if it is in a different language, you still, it's sort of like faith is sort of like a universal language, I think. It like is. We, yeah. We can understand it no matter where we are. Um, So do you know how many countries you've been to where you've been to Catholic mass? Or, I,
1: oh, I don't know or, where I've been to mass. I've been to 19 many? countries total. Okay, I probably wow. have been to mass and about half of them would be my yeah. assumption, but yeah, lots and lots of places around the world. I love traveling. I love experiencing other cultures and understanding the humanity of people around the world. No matter where we come from, we were all designed in the image of God. And that is the most beautiful thing about our human family. Uh, But I also love returning home to the United States and being reminded of how lucky I am to have been born and raised in this country that values individual freedom, that has its foundation in protecting God-given rights before the government. That is so special and something that I hear from people in every other country that I visit. People get stars in their eyes and they say, wow, you're from the United States. It is such a humbling and very special feeling, and I'd never take that lightly.
0: For sure. Do you think um, doing a lot of that travel and um, visiting a lot of other countries has helped to sort of shape uh, shape you as a person as well?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, my personality is very adventurous. I always love trying new things and going way outside of my comfort zone. So it's definitely something I've always enjoyed doing. But from a political perspective, it's absolutely helped to shape my political values um, alongside my faith, which really is the foundation for what I believe politically, because I've seen the effects of big government policies. I've seen socialism up close in several countries around the world. And it's Mm -hmm. difficult to have a conversation with an American socialist who's maybe never left their state or their hometown when they think socialism is this perfect utopia. And in reality, it always leads to complete chaos, poverty and destruction. So I try to remind myself that most people have not been uh, as lucky as me to travel around the world. And I try to explain that to people with my own experiences traveling abroad. But I wish that every single person could see socialism up close for what it really is instead of this lie that the left loves to tell in American culture.
0: I think that's a good point. I just want to pick that up. Um, do you think um, if if people who are who you know say they're socialists actually went and visited these socialist countries and saw how um, how things weren't so great, do you think they would um, p- potentially change their views on the matter?
1: No doubt in my mind that that would happen. And we always like to say and joke around at Turning Point USA that there's a reason all the boats are going from Havana to Miami. They're never going the opposite way. I (laughs) think deep down, most people who call themselves socialists understand that socialism isn't really the perfect answer. But the vast majority of people that I've talked to are really coming from a positive perspective of wanting to help humanity. They want people to be lifted out of poverty. They want to solve some of these problems that we're experiencing. Uh, here in the United States and around the world and just help people at the end of the day. Perhaps all they've ever been taught though is that the government is the only way to accomplish that and therefore socialism is the only option to make that happen. When you can have a logical conversation with people and this happens to me on a daily basis online and in person on campus when I visit our students and walk them through why limited government and the community caring for one another is actually so much more impactful and successful in doing those things and accomplishing those goals. Nine times out of 10 I've experienced people changing their mind already without even seeing the effects of socialism (laughs) for themselves.
0: That's incredible. Um, That's actually good to know. Um, (laughs) Now, um, so which country has been your favorite to visit so far? Oh,
1: wow. That is a very hard question. (laughs) I studied abroad in college in Zambia uh, oh, wow. And I worked in the medical field there when I was still a pre-med student, working with very rural communities that didn't really have access to health care despite health care being free and provided by the government. So that was incredibly impactful. I made relationships there that will last a lifetime, and I very, very much miss Livingston Zambia. so I would say that's probably my favorite country that I've ever been to
0: it, it does make an impact too you know it helps you to understand that you know we do live in a um a very free and, um, happy society sometimes, you know, a lot of us are very lucky to live where we live. Um, so, um, now I, um, I think I speak for myself and a few others when I ask, um, will maybe will after, you know, after COVID's all dealt with and everything and we're able to actually unlock the borders and all that again. <laughs> um, you know, we're still going through lockdowns here in Australia constantly, you know, it's just chaos. Um, but, uh, do you think, um, maybe yourself and some others from TPUSA might visit Australia at some point?
1: We would love that. Absolutely. We have done some really incredible Turning Point USA events in other countries, particularly Canada and the United Kingdom. And they've always done very, very well. What I think people forget is that there's a community of conservatives, not just in the United States, because we get so focused on making a difference here in our own country, but around the world. I have people following me from countries all over the world, from every continent, people who are passionate about the exact same subjects that I talk about on the news in the United States every day. And I wish there was a better mechanism to bind all of us together and fight this fight together. Obviously with COVID-19 and all the lockdowns and shutdowns, it's very difficult to make anything like that happen at this point in time. But I am very confident that many of us from Turning Point would love to come down to Australia.
0: How does it make you um, feel that you've got such a, you know, a wide ranging audience from around the world?
1: It's very humbling, I will say. I hate the word influencer. There's really not a better word for what else I do on social media. So it's the one I have to work with. Uh, But really I think of it more as a community of people that I get to engage with every day and learn from and ask questions of. It's so important to have those connections. And in the time of censorship, and shutting so many of these ideas down. I am incredibly grateful to have such a large community of people that I can talk to and interface with every day to get truth out there, but also to get feedback about what's happening out there in the world. I receive thousands of DMs every day from people all around the world about what they're experiencing, especially with these COVID lockdowns. And it's never been more important for people to be bold, to be brave, to stand for the things that they believe in, in a really public way. So to even remotely know that I've influenced or inspired other people to do that on social media or in person in their own communities is incredibly humbling. All the glory goes to God for sure. But I feel very lucky to be able to talk to so many amazing people every day.
0: Oh, for sure. And for those watching, if, for those young conservatives who watch this, um, you know, Isabel is very responsive with her DMs. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, if you've got any, ever got any questions for her, make sure to ask. Um, now, um, I, I suppose I just wanted to see what, what were your, um, who are some of the people that have influenced you in terms of um, your views and um, getting to where you are today?
1: I think the two biggest mentors in my political experience have now become my friends, which is very cool. And I get to work with them on an almost daily basis. But I would say Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens have been some of the most powerful and inspiring people in my life when it came to finding the courage to speak up about the things I believe in, even in the face of backlash and hatred. Uh, Obviously, I get to work with Charlie almost every single day, which is very fun. And he's been a great friend and mentor to me throughout that process, as has Candace Owens. They're incredible people. They are exactly the same as you see them on screen. And when they're not on screen, uh, and that's very special to know as well, but they are fighters for what they believe in and they're not going to back down to ensure individual liberty for people around the world.
0: Oh, for sure. Do you think having that sense of um, having that sort of uh, good, having a good community of people around you um, for young conservatives in particular is, um, is very beneficial for them?
1: Absolutely. Feeling isolated in your beliefs is one of the easiest ways to stop fighting for what you believe in and stop speaking up. So there is a massive community of people who maybe have a show or a podcast. Uh, they've kind of made it, if you will. And we are all so passionate about the idea of reaching down a hand to help up the next generation. The more people that can tell the truth and get this information out there, the better. So nothing would make me happier than if every single person posted things on their social media and had a podcast and gave speeches on college campuses. I think if we are all willing to step out and be brave and do those things in a really public way, we are all going to make so much bigger of an impact than we imagined.
0: For sure. Um, now, I know you you said you were a uh, big reader um, as a kid. And um, so um, I assume you're still doing a lot of reading today when you can, when you get the chance. Uh, so um, speaking of books, um, this is just a little fun question. Uh, has there been any standout books for you that have um, made had a profound impact on you or that have um, helped you to understand things better? Uh, a ton. Politically or?
1: Yeah, I would say the standout books for me for the year so far, and I've read a lot of them so far, but I would say there's probably a top three that have been the most impactful for me in the year of 2021. I went back and reread Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Could not recommend that book more to any human being. It's not necessarily Agreed. political. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, but psychologically helps you understand the human mind, why we believe in what we do and how you can have more responsibility and control over your own life, which then of course feeds into the political aspect as well. So if every person on earth read that book, I believe we would be in a very good place. And then following up with that, his sequel to that book was equally as impactful and wonderful. So Jordan Peterson is a perfect person to get some advice from and understand his perspectives on the world. I would also say Dave Rubin's book, Don't Burn This Book, was incredibly well-written and very much outlines the principles of classical liberalism that very few people are talking about today in 2021. I think in America, it's assumed that if you're a liberal, you're a Democrat, but that's actually not the case in the United States today, the Democrat party is very much a party and an institution of leftism in 2021. They're embracing the ideas of Marxism and socialism and have left liberalism behind in the dust. So truly the conservative movement has now embodied what it means to be classically liberal and understanding the distinction between all of those things and those definitions is very well written in Dave Rubin's Don't Burn This Book.
0: And um, I suppose this is sort of our final question um, and we'll finish up. Um, so what was what would your advice be to young conservatives of today, especially those who are sort of um, fearful to speak out uh, for fear of retribution? And um, yeah.
1: I often get asked this question, and it's one of the most popular ones I get asked in person and online, but I have the same answer every time. And that is, I know that it's scary. I've been there. I've been a college student who did lose a lot of her friends, who got the failing grades, on my assignments, who had many mentors decide not to work with me anymore because I was just a little too conservative for those people. But I decided to push through anyway. And believe me, I've been called every horrible name in the book. I've gotten the death threats. I've feared for my safety. I get how horrible it is. And so when I'm asking you to speak up, I know what I'm asking you to do. We're not promising that this is going to be easy and that you'll keep all of your friends and you'll always have great marks in school, but we are promising that this fight is worth it. And I know I speak from experience that when I decided to become incredibly bold and courageous about the things that I believed in, my life dramatically changed for the better overnight. And I have never looked back. If we don't start speaking up, every one of us in our communities, whether it be at church, at your university, online, to your family, to your friends, we are not going to recognize the world in just a few short years. And I think every human being on planet Earth has experienced some degree of that in the last year and a half or so. As government intervention has become out of control in the time of COVID-19, we already don't recognize our lives. So imagine if at this point in time, we stop speaking up and we let the government take over for the rest of our time in human history, we won't understand what it means to be free, to be an individual. We wouldn't even be able to have this conversation. So if we're really serious about impacting the world and fighting this culture war and winning, which I do believe we are winning at this point in time, it requires active participation from every single person. So you're never too young. You don't have to be experienced. When I started posting on social media, I didn't have a fancy studio or a team to help me write scripts. I just started posting things on Instagram. Uh, and obviously, a couple of years later, things are dramatically different for me. So I truly believe any single person could be doing a job exactly like what I am doing right now. But all it starts with is a little bit of courage, ten seconds of courage to put your thoughts and your values out there
0: for sure um And just before you guys, anything you'd like to plug while you're here? <laughs>
1: I'm so excited about so many upcoming projects. Unfortunately, I can't really talk to you guys too much about them yet. But as I mentioned, I have a show coming out the second week of September with Turning Point USA. So stay tuned for more info on that.
0: And um, where can people get a copy of your book?
1: You can get a copy shipped to Australia, I believe, on Amazon, which is probably the easiest way to get it. So if you just search Frontlines Isabel Brown, it will definitely pop up. Probably be the first result there in your search bar.
0: Well, Isabel, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it um, and for being my first guest. Um, it's been great talking to you, and um, all the best with all you're doing
1: thank you so much I really appreciate the opportunity and hopefully we'll make the trip down to Australia as soon as possible
0: today we need a special kind of courage not the kind needed in battle but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right everything that is true and honest we need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future